Hey everyone, and welcome to Cozying Up with the Clear Cut, where we get up close and personal with women that inspire us. Today, we're sitting down with Anna Lay. She's the founder of ingestible beauty brand Vita Glow, and we talk all about how to start a business with your significant other, how to create a new category in beauty, and foster a positive work culture. Listen here. Hey everyone, and welcome to Cozying Up the Clear Cut, where we get up close and personal with women that inspire us. Today, I'm so excited to be sitting down with Anna Lay. She is the founder of Vita Glow, an ingestible beauty brand. Thanks for being with us today. Oh my goodness, thank you for having me. You're here all the way from Sydney, Australia, so I'm so honored to have you. I'm so jet-lagged. Fed <laughs> up since 2 a.m. I'm here. I'm excited. How long have you been in New York for? So I arrived 4.30 on Friday and it took us two hours from JFK to get to our hotel with the traffic and then straight into Fashion Week on the weekend. Awesome. And then back-to-back meetings from Monday. I fly to LA on Friday, so I'll be here for seven nights and then nine nights in LA. Oh my God. Well, yeah. making the most out of the U.S. trip, it's far, yeah. right? I love I love the U.S. I love Americans, you know, like they're so enthusiastic. Like they're just such a friendly, everyone wants to help you. It's I just feel like so Australians nice. are really friendly. Yeah, I think we probably are as, as foreigners. I don't yeah. know whether Australians in Australia are that friendly. Like, you know, I don't think we, we don't have the same level of service that Americans do. So it's, um yeah, I love being here. And I know that you just launched in Neiman Marcus here, right? Yeah, so we are officially launching in Neiman Marcus on Saturday, the 17th of September. Congratulations. Thank you. That's very exciting. And we've launched into Bloomingdale's as well, um, Revolve, Carbon Beauty, Shen Beauty, Amazon. So we've only just launched into the US. Uh, In fact, my first trip post-COVID was coming to LA and New York uh, just after Omicron in February. So yeah, so very 2022 quick. is our year one in the US. Wow, but the business has been in business for about eight years, right? Yeah, so technically today is mm. our eighth year anniversary. Wow. Today is my wedding anniversary. Oh my God, double congratulations. <laughs> and we launched Vita Glow on my wedding day. That was not planned, everything was delayed. And in the end, we went live on the 13th, which was Saturday, the 13th of September, 2014. My husband spent the entire day on the Shopify app <gasps> to see if we had any uh, orders. And the lady who bought from us was the first customer was a, a woman called Erin Whitehouse. And she still buys from us today. Oh, my God. Amazing. So, but we've, we've changed the date till like the 19th or something so that we don't have to celebrate Vita Glow's birthday and my anniversary every year. <laughs> so backing up a little bit, can you tell us like how did you, what was your background? How did you found Vita Glow? I know you work with your husband similar I founded the clear cut with my husband too, so I'd love to get into that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, give us a little background on the story, the founding story. So I discovered marine collagen mm-hmm. uh, overseas in Japan, and that was in 2012. And what was I suffered from quite significant hair loss. That was my main beauty concern. But I was there visiting a friend, and it was what was interesting to me that in Japan collagen was kind of everywhere. It was in the equivalent of the 7-Eleven or the supermarket. I went to the gym, and they asked me whether I wanted a collagen water. I went to a restaurant. They asked whether I wanted my soup infused with collagen and I thought collagen was Botox so I was like sure you know (laughs) I'll have some some collagen Um, and you know I was interested 
people said it's really good for hair, skin and nails. But so on the second last day that I was there, I spoke to the pharmacist who was in her 60s. She had amazing skin, but all Japanese women have amazing skin. Yeah. So you take it with a grain of salt. And she explained that collagen supplementation had been around for over 300 years. It was part of their daily diet. Incredible benefits for hair, skin and nails, but lots of secondary benefits for bone health, joint health, osteoporosis. It all just sounded a little bit too good to be true. Mm-hmm. It was in a loose white powder. She said it was a fish powder, which at the time sounded really weird to me because <laughs> hair, skin and nail supplements that I had been taken were all in a pill format or a pill yeah. or a tablet. And I took enough home to take three a day, which you absolutely do not need to take three a day. <laughs> and it sat in the cupboard for weeks until Kieran, who's my husband, who's the CEO, um, who was my boyfriend at the time, shouted out from the shower, Anna, can you get me the knife? Your hair's clogging up the shower again. And I thought, oh, I better start taking that collagen. And I did start with three a day because I'm a good student and that's what she told me to do. And it was quite, it was really my visible, tangible results that I saw from taking a collagen supplement that I had never heard of before that sparked the idea of starting VitaGlow. And I must have been taking it for four to five months before, you know, Instagram had just started at the time, new brands were popping up, like Instagram brands mm-hmm. were popping up. And I thought... You know, we, we, Kieran and I kept saying, you know, we should, what could we do when we get married and have kids on the side? I laugh now because I work 365 days a year. <laughs> um, and I was born in Brazil. So mm-hmm. I thought oh, maybe I could bring in like, I was really into yoga. So maybe it could be like a Brazilian activewear line or a Brazilian bikini line or something like that. And, um, and one day it was Kieran who, you know, basically pulled the collagen out of the cupboard and was like what about this shit that you import in from Japan and it cost a fortune on the credit card every day and you were telling the waiter at the restaurant about it and you gift it to everybody and I was like well I don't know anything about collagen and he was like well don't you think you should because you take it every day and I was like yeah good point and being (laughs) at uni for six years taught me how to research that's something I'm quite good at and I really became obsessed. I sort of started researching and I didn't stop for about nine months and I really treated it like a university assignment in that I bought the textbooks and I referenced everything like I would an essay. Um, And really I found this incredible product, which at the time, this was 2013, was not the beauty buzzword that it is today. There was no other brand in the West that had a collagen brand. Um, There were a lot of Asian brands, obviously, because it was popular in the Asian market, but there was nothing else like it. And we launched on the 13th of September um, uh, and with one product, which was our original marine collagen. We now have seven flavors. and today that product, our collagen sells one unit every four seconds around the world. Wow. We're the number one marine collagen brand in the world and we are, my goal is to be in, in world leaders in ingestible beauty. And I know that that's a very ambitious goal, but I think it's one we can achieve. And, and for me, the focus going forward is, even though we started as a collagen brand uh, today, and we, I'm sure we'll go into this, is, you know, it, it, we really are an ingestible beauty brand. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of other targeted products um, outside of collagen. Was there like one pivotal moment when you were shaping your brand or coming up with the business that was like your aha moment? I think there were so many. I think for me, what was really exciting, um, we launched day one on Shopify direct, you know, um, online. And in those early days, social media and influencers worked really different. You could basically send products to anyone and they would post it for free. Yeah. Um, and so we were able to grow in a really um, quickly at the, the very beginning. 
And then I think once the shopping app nature of, of, of Instagram sort of started, you know, we, we really realized that we didn't want to be pigeonholed into an Instagram brand because at the time, maybe this was by 2016, a lot of those Instagram brands started failing mm-hmm. and we really wanted to go into wholesale and, and be in bricks and mortar and, you know, most of them said no uh, at the time because ingestible beauty wasn't even a category, right. I mean, at all. And now it's so big. And now it's so big. It's worth $217 billion. Wow. And collagen alone is said to be worth $6.5 billion by 2025. So I think a real pivotal moment for me was when, you know, retailers, and we started in Australia being an Australian band, but, you know, key retailers. And the first key retailer that took a chance on us was a department, a leading department store called Maya. And um, and that was for me like, wow, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and that was in 2017. And we also entered the Chinese market at that time, which is today our biggest market. Wow. Even with the other competing Asian um, ingestibles? Yeah, by far. So China is our largest market. I mean, pre-pandemic, I used to fly to China every couple <laughs> of weeks. <laughs> um, but it still is, even with the lockdown laws and, and the state of the Chinese economy at the moment, it's still our leading market. So, And probably because they understand ingestibles a lot mm-hmm. more. Um, and we focused on China for such a long time before. I mean, we only really moved. Well, today we're available in 50 markets um but we moved and we started our push into the uk and europe really at the beginning of the pandemic because it took us so long to really understand the chinese market and that really allowed us to have the revenue to expand totally and you started the business from the get-go with your boyfriend at the time who's now your husband did you ever have like any hesitation starting a business with your partner um, and what's it been like? Good question. Um, I probably did, you know, because like, but I mean, Kieran and I met and we were engaged after three months, which is wow. crazy. And then we were married 18 months after we met. So I get asked this a lot. What is it like working with your husband? And I think, A, I don't know any different, right? Because mm-hmm. there's, we work together, we travel together. I mean, he's here with me now. We raise children together. Uh, we there's not a lot of space in our togetherness Mm -hmm. and I think it was harder in the beginning when it was just me and him Mm -hmm. because we have very different skill sets Kieran and I and you know there was a lot of oh yeah but you know what do you think about that or did you really think that that was the right way to it whereas now there's 60 people in our North Sydney office we have a growing team in Europe in China in the UK so we really have our defined roles and we do overlap a little bit in sales. I mean, I really like to focus on marketing and creative and product innovation. Um, I'm the face and founder of the brand. He's the CEO, so he does all the stuff that I don't want to do, like <laughs> logistics and finance and quality control and those kinds of things. So n- these days it's actually easier. Mm-hmm. But in short, I just don't think I know any different. That's all I know, you know, is working with him. And my career beforehand, I mean, I started this business, what, six months after I finished university. So it's the only really career that I, that I know. And you mentioned that you have kids too. How do you balance like the separation between like work life and home life and being a full-time founder and a mother? That's a really difficult thing to answer. Mm -hmm. I don't, really think I think balance is bullshit you know (laughs) I don't I mean people always like balance I'm like where do people find this balance you know there are I look I think 
Again, my kids are, I mean, they're all in Sydney now. They're five, three, and two. I'm pregnant with our fourth child. Oh, my God, congratulations. Um, so I had three kids under three, which oh, was wow. nuts. Um, and my daughter was born in a pandemic in, right at the start of COVID, which was kind of nice for me because the first two babies, I lugged around the world. You know, until I stopped breastfeeding, I took them everywhere with me. So... Ch- I got out and I don't recommend any woman does this by the way but I got out of the hospital I drove straight to birth deaths and marriages so I could get his birth certificate fastened so that I could go and get his passport so that at three weeks old I could take him to China and then he went you know like I lugged babies around all over the world pregnant whilst working I went to China when I was 35 weeks pregnant when it's your own business I think I wouldn't I mean now I have in policy one of the best maternity leave policies in Australia that's available for Australian companies because I never want any and I hire 92% females in Mm -hmm. my business I never want any of the women that work for me to do what I I did (laughs) but when it's your own business and it's your own passion and there was no other option you know like this had to work Mm -hmm. Um, you do the hustle is real and the work is hard and for every success and everything looks so lovely and shiny and curated on social media but the reality of of it behind the scenes is is really tough at times so you have to have a supportive partner which I do um, and I have family which is really helpful I have nannies mm-hmm. um, and I'm really honest about that yeah. we can't do it all mm-hmm. you know and I and I think you have to ask for help you have to accept help and yeah sometimes it's hard I mean my kids are grown up with me working so they're pretty like when I left for this trip I told them for two weeks I was going to New York and they don't know what New York is but they're like (laughs) you know and so they waved me goodbye and there weren't too many tears but you miss things like there's an event happening on Wednesday at school and I'm not going to be there and Mm -hmm. there's a birthday party on Saturday and I'm not going to be there so it's not always easy it's quite it's quite yeah, sometimes it's quite hard. I've I've been in a hotel room overseas once and my dad thought it was cute to send me a video of my son crying at the door, calling for mummy. And I got the lamp that was in the hotel bedside and I threw it across oh the room God. and it smashed. So, you know, mum guilt is a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't go away. And But you just, I just sort of have to think everything I do is for them. That's amazing. Um, what are some pieces of advice you can give for building a good culture in your team? You have to foster relationships. You know, Kieran and I have almost, I mean, I've been given advice by other women in business to have more distance between you and your team, um, to separate yourself more. I'm not good at doing that, Mm -hmm. you know. I know a lot about what's going in the personal lives of my team. We have an open door policy. People can come and talk to us. I do get invested in their personal lives. I can't help it. Um, But I think that when you... You, you have to foster the relationships. People want to work for you and they want to do a good job for you if they respect you, if they like you, if they feel that they can be honest with you, if you can give each other feedback. You know, I hate the term constructive criticism because criticism is never constructive. People don't like to be criticised. I don't like to be criticised. Nobody does, you know, but finding out what work work finding out what people's strengths are and helping them work to their strengths and not their weaknesses because then they feel inadequate you know mm-hmm. um we have a lot of things like we have a, a yoga gym in our office we have morning teas all the time uh we have town halls we have customer surveys like when i get back a week after i get back we are going to the hunter valley which is about a two-hour drive from sydney to a a hotel there where we're doing a two-day team building um, thing. We have, you know, good Christmas parties. We celebrate 
everybody's birthday. Mm-hmm. Every month we have cupcakes and things for people's birthdays. We have Friday night drinks. Uh, once a month we have an award and recognition system where um, other employees can nominate an employee that for the month and then that month they win a bottle of sparkles and then they go into the uh, draw for the Christmas winning employee of the year. Like, so, and we had reflexology for Women's Health Week in Australia last week. So, it sounds great. Yeah, you have to. There's a you have to do a lot basically. Yeah, and we have our HR department is called People and Culture Department, and we have three people that work in that department, and that's their role really to making sure that people are happy. And if people are happy, they're going to have better, have better productivity, better outcomes. So it's a never-ending journey and it's one of the toughest things is managing people in your business, but it's one of the most important things. And I think it's tough at least, like your business now is pretty robust. You have a huge team. Um, But in those early days when it was like a startup and a little bit more gritty, um, were there any things if you like couldn't offer like reflexology or yoga? Yeah, we couldn't do any of that. (laughs) Claire Butler, who still works for us today, she's my very first employee. And I interviewed her in a coffee shop in Darlinghurst. Mm -hmm. And before I interviewed her, I was 24. (laughs) I Googled, what do you ask in interview (laughs) questions? (laughs) And like, I look at, we, we have a laugh about it now, but it's like, shit we did you know like it was like she didn't even have a title she just did everything like between we did everything between answering customer service questions cleaning the office cleaning the bathroom packing boxes doing customer service I mean now it's all feels like a proper workplace you know but um in the beginning there was just a lot of rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty and you know and she's still with us our very first employee so uh, yeah, and you know what? And not everyone is going to suit your business. Vitaglow is very fast-paced. Mm-hmm. Like a week at Vitaglow is like a month anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. And people are going to leave your business, and that's also okay. Um, and sometimes it's it's the, for the best for us. Sometimes it's for the best for them. Sometimes it's mutually agreeable. You know, yeah, it takes time to get to the position where Vita Glow is now having reflexology. Like that yeah. certainly wasn't offered in the beginning. But as I've grown and have have more experience in being a business owner and managing a team, I, I cannot stress the importance of cultivating a healthy workplace culture. Yeah, definitely. Um, what were some mistakes that you made early on that you can look back on and have learned something from. I don't know where to start. I've made so many mistakes. <laughs> um, look, there's so many. You know, when we started, we were complete rookies. We had one product. We didn't have a business plan. We didn't have a product architecture. We brought out products that didn't suit the branding. We made mistakes with understanding what the consumers wanted. Like now we're very concern-led when we look at new product development and innovation. Um, you know, we've had this beautiful rebrand, so we have this beautiful new packaging but in the beginning we did it all ourselves and mm-hmm. I look at the old packaging and I cringe, but one day I'll probably have it framed in my house. Um, you know, hiring too fast, um, firing too slow, um, you know, not being, not having clear processes with uh, manufacturers, uh, bringing new products to market that didn't really suit. I mean, there's so many mistakes mm-hmm. that we made. But the good thing about making mistakes is that if you're smart, you don't make the same mistake twice. Right. So making mistakes is part of the journey mm-hmm. and it's a really good way to learn. 
Hey everyone, Olivia here. Hope you're enjoying our episode. Our clear-cut collection features fine jewelry pieces inspired and designed with you in mind. Our collection is ever-changing and each piece is handmade and made to order here in New York City. Don't forget to check it out and use the code COZY, C-O-Z-Y, for free shipping on any purchase. Can you first tell us what ingestible beauty is? So ingestible beauty is really looking at beauty concerns from within. So whereas, uh, you know, at a topical will treat, for example, if you're looking at a topical that treats pigmentation, right? You're looking at something that's treating the area uh, via a topical, via a serum, um, a brightening serum, for example. Mm -hmm. So we have a pigmentation product which we called Radiance, which we launched in September last year. Today, that product sells one unit every 30 seconds. It's a hugely successful product. And it comes in a cellulose uh, vegan capsule. All our products are vegan except for the collagen. Um, And that is a a targeted slow release. So it's got a sensitive active called Skinax2, which is a blend of melon extract and um, grapeseed oil. And then that is for a small release in the small intestines. And that works on um, inhibiting the overdevelopment of melanin. We did the clinical study for that product in Mauritius. um, And that was a three month study where women have more hyperpigmented or pigmented skin. And it's really looking at treating a a common beauty concern like pigmentation from within as opposed through a topical and what's great about ingestibles is that it has a systemic effect so whether you have um, pigmentation on your face or whether you have it on the back of your hands or whether you have it on your chest it's treating pigmentation everywhere Mm. Um, and we always like to say that you know ingestibles take skincare 97% deeper because we know that topicals are so important. I mean, I love topicals. I'm the most avid ingestible beauty user, but I still use the topicals every day. But ingestibles work on the other 97% of the skin, so the deeper um, dermal layers of the skin and really treating uh, skin concerns from within. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it is fairly new and a lot of people are just learning about it. Um, How do you decide what other products to launch? We're really concern-led. I mean, sometimes we get really excited because we find an exciting, um, our quality or innovation team find an exciting new ingredient, then we kind of run with that, but predominantly concern-led. So Radiance was uh, the concern of pigmentation. Hairology was the concern of hair loss and hair thinning. Uh, Anti-geox was, um, you know, inflammatory skin conditions like acne, rosacea, um, and what we call extrinsic aging factors, which are the premature um, accelerators. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sun damage, lack of sleep, poor diets. So we really look at what is the consumer concern. Um, We're launching a product in November that is specifically for acne. And you have to remember that each product takes about two years to develop. Once Mm -hmm. we find the ingredients, once we find the manufacturer, once we do um, all of the formulations and then the lengthy clinical trials and then making sure that the ingredients are stable and the shelf life is there and it takes about two years to bring a product to market and not all products come to market like we have an exciting product that we were hoping to launch but after the clinical trials the results didn't stack up so mm. we that's disappointing ahead with it. Yeah. yeah it's always disappointing <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. but you know if the products don't work you don't you get don't repeat customers and you lose all credibility totally um Do you have any advice for like a young woman who might want to start her own business? Like what would be your biggest piece of advice? I would say that there's probably three. Okay. Number one is don't be afraid to fail. You know, 
I think a lot of people don't get started because they're so afraid to fail and that that fa- that fear of taking a risk can be really crippling. Number two is that don't get too worried about the the whole what it's all going to look like in the end. Just start one foot in front of the other. What's that old quote that says, you know, you don't have to see the first the whole staircase just take the first step Mm -hmm. sometimes taking the first step is the hardest part Mm -hmm. and then for young women in particular because I started my business as a young woman is and maybe this comes with experience is learning to not be so impressionable you know um is something that I've had to learn to do because there's been so many times when I'm like, oh, but that person is in this role or that person's an editor of that or that per-. You know, you get so impressionable yeah. by other people but actually no one else has started this business and no one else has done this except for me and that sort of unwavering self-belief is difficult to foster. It is. And But I think it's so important to, if you believe in something to kind of just like really have that confidence and not let, you know, you're going to get knocked down. Like you mentioned, when you are paving the way in like a whole new category, people mm. may not believe that it's going to work out. Yeah. Or, and that can be like challenging for anyone to make that first step. Yeah. Switching topics a little bit because mm-hmm. we like to talk about jewelry because we're a jewelry company. Yeah, I love jewelry. <laughs> um, we, we think that jewelry specifically, you know, can hold special meaning and like sentimental value. Do you have any special pieces um, that you love to wear that have any particular emotional... Well, first of all, I was looking at your engagement ring. Oh, thank you. And I realized that I'm not wearing my engagement <laughs> ring. And the reason I'm not wearing my engagement ring was because I was coming to meet you. So I took my little cleaning pen out that I have and I cleaned it under the water and then I blow dried it because that's what I do. It's like I, I wash my diamonds and, with, and then I blow dry them. And then once I blow dried it, I left it there and left the house without it. So <laughs> that's a bit sad. Um, but probably the most special pieces are... I have this custom-made bee it's ring. So pretty. And matching um, bee earrings. My daughter, so I have an Edward, Henry, and a Beatrice. Um, and Edward we call Teddy and Henry and then B. And because I had two boys and then I had a girl, um, my husband gifted me a my bee, bee uh, <laughs> ring and bee earrings. And I, I really do love them. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. But yeah, I mix and match my jewelry all the time. I always change. Mm-hmm. Yesterday I was in gold hoops like you're wearing mm-hmm. with like a gold snake necklace. Um, it kind of just depends on my mood, you know? Amazing. I love that. And how did he propose to you? At home, um, <laughs> in the bedroom. We were like watching a movie in bed and then the movie ended and he was like, I think we should get married. <laughs> he wasn't on one knee. He didn't have a ring. It wasn't super romantic, but it was yeah, that's you, kind so of sums up. So you picked out your own engagement ring after? He, well, I've had an upgrade. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> which is nice. But the original ring was a round, brilliant cut diamond on a gold setting, mm-hmm. which I've now made into a pendant. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now I have a radiant cut with baguette sides. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and then I love jewelry because you can always pass it down to be one day. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um who what is your biggest inspiration uh at the moment it's the queen (laughs) because I'm a diehard monarchist and you know sometimes I think being pregnant and having three young kids and just the nature of how fast my business is I've got here and I was so jet lagged and I had such a busy weekend and week and I said to my husband I was like listen if the queen can work two days before she dies and she's 96 years old, what's my excuse? Mm-hmm. 
So it really depends. But I am super inspired by strong women in history. So I think, um, you know, the Queen is definitely someone that I think has made remarkable progress um, as a woman in the 70 years and 214 days that she reigned. Maya Angelou, Oprah, um, athletes. I think athletes are phenomenal, like Serena William. I was mm -hmm. so emotional when she announced her retirement. What a woman. Um, and, and then travel. I'm so inspired when I travel, when I meet new people, when I go to new cities, when I have new experiences. And I'm grateful that I'm at, I travel a lot, like five to six months of the year. But I, I get a lot of energy from mm -hmm. different cities and different environments. Amazing. So where can we follow along with the Vita Glow journey? So you can follow Vita Glow on Instagram and TikTok uh, and social media at Vita Glow. Um, and then I'm Anna Lay and that's L-A-H-E-Y. And you can purchase our product in the retailers that I spoke of earlier, uh, online, Revolve, Neiman Marcus, Bloomingdale's. Um, Amazon and some really new exciting um, retailers that are launching in the US as well but I can't give too much away okay awesome <laughs> well, thank you so much we oh, loved having you thank you so much for having me that was such a fun conversation I really I really appreciate how candid Anna was describing how she started her business and how she continues to scale and grow while she still has a family. Um, I'm definitely going to take advice from her as we continue to grow the clear cut. What advice did you guys take from our conversation?